Welcome back to Categorical Imperatives. Uh, I am your host today, Lockie and Liberal, and I do want to thank you all so much for joining me here today. Uh, if you are uh, new to this program, I especially want to welcome you. This is a podcast where we're going to be using legal theory and moral philosophy to discuss current events related to law, politics, and culture. And today I've got a really uh, interesting episode for you. Uh, I just got finished doing an interview uh, with the great Scott Horton. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, the Afghanistan war. Uh, I know I've certainly kind of had trouble making sense out of all the chaos that's been going on uh, in uh, just both in, in, in the world and sort of in the reporting on it. Uh, and so Scott is the guy who literally wrote the book on the war in Afghanistan. That's Fool's Errand, Timed in the War in Afghanistan, uh, which is a must read uh, if you haven't read it before. But the point being, he is the perfect person to uh, hopefully uh, help me get a little clarity. And you know, if you needed to help you get a little clarity, too, on uh, what to make of all of this. So without further ado, uh, here is my interview with Scott. Alright, hey, greetings, and welcome back to Categorical Imperatives. Uh, I am joined today by Scott Horton. He has been kind enough to come on uh, and give me some of his time uh, to talk about uh, everything that's been going on in Afghanistan, uh, hopefully try and help me and help other people uh, make some sense out of it. Uh, you know, I mean, he's the guy who literally wrote the book on the thing, so no better person to talk to. Uh, so anyways, yeah, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Cool. And Scott is uh, the uh, the founder of the Libertarian Institute, uh, managing editor of Antiwar.com, uh, the author of Fool's Errand and uh, Enough Already. And that's, you do the Scott Horton show on scotthorton.org. Is that kind of everything? Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Did you say Antiwar.com? I'm the editorial director of Antiwar.com. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I got that. So and then there will be links uh, to all of those sites down in this video's description. So, uh, yeah, definitely go check those out. It seems so lopsided the way that ninety nine percent of everything that's being focused on uh, criticism and and uh, uh, you know just completely attacking Biden and uh, I I don't know. It, it just am I letting them off too easy here, or are people really overreacting to what is really kind of some fairly minor uh, uh, problems. Yeah, I mean, mostly I agree with you. They certainly screwed up, right? If you want to narrow the entire question down to how they left, they should not have canceled the deal and kicked the can down the road for a few months the way that they did. They should have stuck by the deal to get out by May. And Biden's first day in office, the night of the 20th, he should have called the Pentagon and said, we're sticking with the deadline out by May. You heard me, and I'm not changing my mind now. Do work. And he didn't do that. And no. the Pentagon was trying to slow roll it because they wanted to talk him into changing his mind. 
and he should have let it be known right then. But instead, for, I guess, political reasons, they didn't want it to be Trump's withdrawal. They wanted it to be Biden's withdrawal. And so he kicked the can down the road. But that just meant that they were giving away that decent interval where they have time to get out before the Taliban takes over the whole country. And then they also were believing all of their own BS about the strength of the Afghan army and its willingness and ability to fight and hold off the Taliban for at least, as they were putting it a few weeks ago, for a few months, at least, maybe till the end of the year or something, they'll hold on to Kabul. So because of that, they left a bunch of equipment behind for the Afghan National Army that ended up all falling into the hands of the Taliban. And they pulled out all the troops from, for example, the Bagram Air Base, while they still had, you know, what, 3,000 civilians working at the embassy and in various capacities in the capital city there. And then they say 15,000, but I don't believe it. But some number, some other greater number of Americans spread throughout the country and other places and, you know, acting in, in private or contractor type capacities and that kind of thing. So would it have made more sense to just say the ANA is a joke? It cannot stand. We're not betting that it can stand. And we're going to destroy all these trucks or bring them all home and all the light arms and all the rest that we left them. And we're going to get all of our civilians out. And on the last flight out will be armed soldiers who can protect and provide force protection for themselves all the way out the door. That would have made a lot more sense. Instead, they really set themselves up to look like a bunch of stupid idiots here in the way that they handled it. However, the real point is that in the scheme of things, well, two two things. Even with the Taliban taking over the country. Which was going to happen anyway. What? Which was going to happen anyway, wouldn't you say? Yeah, but the, the, the point is, when they took over Kabul, they didn't start murdering everybody. Right. Right, and they didn't bomb and, and machine gun and mortar our guys, you know, on the way from the embassy to the airport it, you know when when saigon fell it was bitter fighting all the way to the very end when people are mm-hmm. you know trying to climb on that huey they can hear machine gun fire in the not too far distance you know a couple of blocks away that's yeah. a that was a real panic a bitter fighting to the very end of the thing in this case it was a coup de main where the taliban just took over the whole damn place in a surprise attack that in some case amounted to not even an attack and just as I had predicted for years, they just walked right into Kabul. They didn't even invade it or lay siege to it. They just walked right in and took over the thing. And they've stuck with their side of the ceasefire and not attacked and killed American soldiers and American um, you know, government employee civilians on their way out of the country there. Um, right. And so that's important to note that people w- were afraid that this would be like ISIS taking over and it would be total chaos. But it's really not total chaos. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is that this entire war has been a catastrophe. And so, of course, the end of it is also a bungled, ridiculous, haphazard mess. What did you expect? 20 years of catastrophe tied up with a neat little bow at the end? Of course, everything looks like hell on the way out. This is the best they can do, folks. This is the thing. You know, the counterfactual I just explained for how they could have done it instead Well, our secretary of defense and his men couldn't think of that, couldn't handle that right. This is the best they can do. It's part of how they lost the whole damn war. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, and it, has there been anything uh, as as far as like the civilians left behind? I, I mean, is there any like reason that people are panicking except that they're afraid of what they're imagining might happen? Or, I mean, is there really? I don't any... think so. No, I think that's right. And look, okay. if you have a friend who's you know down in Ghazni and you're wondering whether he's going to be able to get to Kabul and get on a plane and get out of there, you might be really worried about him. However. And and I'm behind. I have not caught up on you know all the latest news as of the last you know twelve hours or whatever. Yeah. But I haven't seen reports of that. And there have been reports, very like vague and as far as I can tell, unconfirmed reports that Americans are being prevented from getting to Kabul. But at the same time, the Taliban has said that they guarantee total amnesty to all former government employees, and yeah. of course they'll protect all Americans trying to get out of the country, trying to travel across the country to get out of the country, that they don't want any trouble with anybody. And so, you know, something that happens a lot is you look at um, at enemies in war and, or not even in war, but just, you know, leaders of foreign countries. And yeah. oftentimes they are ruthless killers, but that does not mean that they are like irrational, crazy people like, you know, Charles Manson in the lockup or something like that. Right, they are right, ruthless. Right. They make ruthless decisions. But that doesn't mean that they're irrational. And the Taliban, frankly, oftentimes make very bad decisions when they could have done one thing smart for their own interests. They do something entirely uh, different. But in this case, they seem to be more clever than cruel. And they're saying, you know, listen, it's in our interests to get off on the right foot with the international community, such as it is the other major powers of the world by once they establish a new government and take over and control the government there to not make themselves an immediate pariah by going after the civilian government employees of anybody's country, any any embassy employees of any country in in their country that now their country. Now, yeah. It's not in their interest to do that. And so I'm not saying we can trust them, but I'm just saying no. there's no reason to really believe that they're just going to act out their revenge fantasies and murder Americans who are trying to get the hell out of their country, which is what the Taliban always said was all they ever wanted. Right. Yeah, and I was really uh, surprised. I, I saw this uh, footage of uh, them walking into town, and I, from what it looks like to me that they kind of went into the airbase and to the, the Afghan army that was there, I, they were just like, hey, look, if you guys just surrender – put down your arms, leave peacefully, we'll let you be. And, I mean, it looked like they were really doing that, like just letting people go in peace as long as they didn't uh, fight. Yeah. Which, which is, is yeah, yeah really smart public relations for them, right? I mean, this is a big part of how they took over the whole country. Imagine if the first few uh, military bases that they seized, they had taken all the infantry out back and shot them, right? They'd have had a much harder time at the next base. Instead, right. it was base after base after base. They were telling people, look, Put down your rifle and go home mm -hmm. and not even taking them to jail, much less executing them. And they did execute a few commanders and whatever. I'm not saying it's been beautiful, but I'm just saying no, they sure. were smart to take over the country essentially with handshakes and not through bitter fighting. Yeah, well, and I'm sure they understand that we're still hawkish enough that, I mean, any acting up could have could could have brought the troops back or, I mean, could still if they really started acting up too. I, I don't know. I mean, they have to be, uh, understand that, I would think. Well, there's zero chance America is going to try to 
rouse them out of power in Kabul now and try to again to do a regime change and create a new government there. But you're right, certainly that they could carpet bomb them with B-52s. You right. know, they could, uh, I guess, in the worst case scenario, they could send in Marines to go and engage them in ground fighting to punish them for this, that or the other thing. But I think the Taliban know, too, that those days are over. If America's going back to Afghanistan after this, well, there's a chance that they're going to try to side with Masood's son and Mohammed Noor and uh, Mohammed Atta Noor and some of these other guys in the Panjshir Valley. But I don't expect that to last. I think the Taliban's going to take over that last redoubt here, you know, relatively quickly. So I don't see much space there for the CIA or anybody to continue to back those guys against the Taliban. I'm much more concerned that they're going to go ahead and ally with the Taliban and it'll be in the name of keeping ISIS out. Huh? Our government will ally with the Taliban, you're saying? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, in the name in the name of fighting ISIS and in the name, well, and, and covertly, it wouldn't be in the name of anything, but in order to support the uh, East Turkestan Islamic Movement, uh, E-T-I-M, they call it, which is essentially uh, separatist Uyghurs who are allied with the Taliban who the Americans, you know, bombed there in 2018 um, at a joint Taliban ETIM base there in uh, far northeastern Afghanistan. So, you know, they could try to, um, you know, turn it around and say, you know what, actually, the enemy of my enemy is my friend or the the friend of the guy I want to train against my enemy is not so bad. (laughs) Right. (laughs) However you phrase it. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I guess uh, kind of touching on, uh, you know, the idea of us just not going back and you're not seeing any possibility of that. Uh, another thing I, I kind of wanted to ask you about is uh, what what I seem to be seeing uh, from people just like, in the news and in general, it, there's very much that same sort of like shame and demoralization that happened with the uh, Vietnam syndrome. Uh, and what I'm wondering is uh do you think uh because this is kind of a a different age like we don't really have to we wouldn't really have a problem of them trying to start new wars uh you know with the with middle easterners the way that they were doing with the communist nations but uh do you think that this kind of there could be like a new sort of vietnam syndrome where we start really kind of getting fed up and uh, not putting up with some of the, the other wars we're fighting right now that are, are really pointless? Uh, I mean, do you see anything like that happening? Yeah, I mean, I think it's already happened. It's, it happened really as a result of Iraq War II. That was such a disaster. And they sold it so hard for the, to then turn it to such a catastrophe. And then even when they finally left... They sort of thought that they had won, but they hadn't won anything. They had fought for the winning side, but then the winning side told them, now beat it, get the hell out, and you don't get anything. You don't get one base. You don't get one drop of oil. Go to hell. So then they left, and then a couple years after that, ISIS took over the whole west of the country. And so just from a very, like, even just half-informed kind of general public or, you know, Army infantry veteran point of view, what the hell was that all for? Right. You know, we gave everything we got in Ramadi. And then a couple of years later, you got bin Ladenites rule the entire West of the country. 
you know, they were part of the insurgency. Now they're the dominant fact uh, force in the whole thing just a few years later. So there was a lot of, I think, just giving up there. What the hell is the point of all of this? And you know what, honestly, man, you're too young probably to remember this, but in the early Bush years, I mean, it was like, oh man, you know how they treat Dr. Fauci like infallible or whatever. It was like that only way more. It it was way worse about George W. Bush and his whole government. There's never been a more competent and intelligent and capable and rational and well-intentioned group of administrators ever. Meet Bush and Cheney and Rice and Powell and Tenet and, you know, this group, they know what to do. Tom Ridge at Homeland Security. He's our great leader. It was like, um, yeah, it was like Starship Troopers only without the satire. They just meant it. You know, it was really like that. And that didn't break until Hurricane Katrina. In fact, you'll see right wingers complain. Yeah, the media was always out to get W. Bush. No, they weren't. The media was always out to force us to worship George W. Bush, to Mm -hmm. never question George W. Bush until two years into the Iraq war. And then it wasn't even Iraq. It was when Katrina drowned New Orleans and the national government sat there doing nothing about it for five, six straight days while everyone on TV screaming their heads off, crying about it and all the rest of that. And only finally then did the consensus change to actually George Bush is a stupid piece of crap. He doesn't know anything. And Dick Cheney is a corrupt, mean, venal, you know, hateful, torturous, old piece of crap. And while it turns out these neoconservatives, they're hardly Americans at all. They're all here to serve the interests of Israel at the expense of the American people. And Condoleezza Rice, it's amazing she can read and write. She knows the first (laughs) thing about what the hell she's doing up there. And then and then that was it. So the consensus finally broke later. And and then ever since then, it's been downhill. I mean, I got to tell you, man, it's been it's been 10 years, nine years since the polls had it. That super majorities of the American people were against the war in Afghanistan. It's been since, you know, the height of the surge. Most Americans have been for pulling out of there, at least maybe even from before that. Well, yeah, I mean, that was only ever supposed to be uh, go in, get bin Laden, take care of him and get out. I, I mean, it wasn't supposed to be That's any of thought. this nation building. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, it's the same thing in Iraq. I'll never forget the lady in my cab. I don't think she must have tipped me. The lady in my cab saying, <laughs> well, I say we go get Saddam and get out. And I say to her, well, look, I mean, it's not like it's your responsibility because they don't care what you think really anyway, but. Right. You know, that's kind of not what's being sold here. Right. The choices are go to Iraq and stay and expand America's military footprint and build 50 bases and colonize the damn place, at least militarily and and change the map of the Middle East forever or don't. But go in and get Saddam and get out. That's not even one of the options up for discussion here at all. No, not There's at all. no one has even proposed that. And then she says to me, well, that's what I say. I say, go in there and get him and get out. And it's like, and you know, I, I probably did keep arguing with her that like, yeah. yeah, but what you're doing is you're giving them permission to do what it is that they want, not what it is that you want them to do. You imagine this narrow scenario. And then of course the joke is she didn't have any power. It doesn't matter what she thought anyway. But still, just you can see how people would just rationalize it. Like if I told her, 
Well, I did tell it. Look, they say they're going to remake the whole country. They're going to do all of this stuff and remake Iraq in this whole separate place. That would never make sense. That didn't make sense to her. That was why she said, look, they've successfully convinced me of how bad this guy is. He's got to be killed. But she couldn't imagine that any rational person would want to bite off more than that in Iraq. You're telling me the mission is more than getting him and get out? Well, I'm against that. That doesn't make any sense at all. Still, she was in favor of starting the war, though. Oh, for sure. But still, you understand what I mean. But yeah, definitely. And and, uh, yeah, I'm old enough to remember that there was... uh, I've heard it referred to as kind of like the other PC culture, the uh, patriotic correctness, where it's just like, it it is not okay to question your government. It's, you know, it's... uh, you know, these wars are good. You just need to trust us. You know, we're fighting them for a good reason. Just kind of, you know, shut up and, and sit back and we got things handled. Uh, yeah, really, really weird time. Um, so let's see. I I, uh, I, I got kind of a, a two-part uh, question I wanted to ask you here. I, uh, it's, I guess the first part I'll ask you first is, uh, is there anything... Um, about the end of the war uh, and uh, the withdrawal that has been going on and, and is going on that you think is, is uh, really important that should be talked about and that is not getting its due uh, in the media and, and anything that people should be taking to mind that they're just simply not hearing? Sure. Well, in fact, I just wrote a new article today um, because uh, – so. When I was at Freedom Fest in South Dakota a few weeks ago, I did an interview uh, with C-SPAN for Book TV. And today they put out a tweet promoting it. But they also, it was a video with a montage of me and two or three other authors uh, with, you know, short clips of us talking. And the clip before me is Peter Bergen. And I don't think he's probably thinking about me, although maybe he is. But he said, you know, there's some people out there now who more and more are promoting the theory that bin Laden was trying to get us to invade Afghanistan, to bog us down and bleed us to bankruptcy, like he said in the 2004 speech. Right. But yeah. Peter Bergen says, but that's not true. That's just an after the fact rationalization. Bin Laden was trying to get us to be scared and run away. And, um, and then after we didn't, and we, you know, went big instead, then this is how he excused it after the fact by saying, well, that was his plan all along. But, well, that just ain't right. And so I've got a few different evidences collected um, from the 1990s, from before September 11th, where he said this, or at least right at the time. So yeah, um, I have his interviews with Abdelbari Atwan, who wrote The Secret History of Al-Qaeda, who was the who is the editor of uh, Al-Quds Al-Arabi newspaper in London, who interviewed bin Laden in 1996, where he explained all of this and where he where he explained outright, that's what he's trying to do is get us to invade Afghanistan. And then he also said he complains that after Black Hawk Down, Bill Clinton withdrew from Somalia when he was hoping for a war of attrition against us there. That was what he called it, a war of attrition against us in Somalia. And then you have um, the... Uh, Wall Street Journal reporter Alan Cullison got his hands on an Al-Qaeda hard drive, or maybe it was a Taliban hard drive that had emails from Al-Qaeda guys on it. One or the other, I forget now. But in there is a letter from bin Laden to Mullah Omar saying, oh, your highness, geez, I love you. So sorry for getting you into such trouble. But 
it's worth it. Trust me. And here's why. And he explains the position that he's put us in. We can either turn tail and run now, which will make us look weak and pathetic and undermine our empire, or we can invade and they'll bog us down and break us on the rocks of Afghanistan. We'll have to withdraw in humiliating defeat, just like the Russians, which would be the long way and the hard way of achieving the very same end. That's what bin Laden told Mullah Omar. And then we have his son, Omar, who I guess he named after Mullah Omar. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, no, he would he would have been younger. He would have been younger than that. Uh, or sorry, too old for that. Anyway, but anyway, so Mullah, oh, I mean, pardon me, the son Omar bin Laden gave an interview to Rolling Stone magazine in 2010, where he says, "My father's plan was to replicate his war against the Russians. He would do to the United States exactly what he'd done to the Russians in the 1980s, which was bog them down and break their economy. And look at all the money you've spent in invading Afghanistan. It's just like what he was trying to do. And you can tell from the way he says this." There's no after-the-fact rationalization by bin Laden's PR man. This is just his son saying, look, this is what my dad told me in the summer before the attack, that this is what he was trying to accomplish with the attack. And then there's a brand new piece of evidence that just came out in June, which is um, a story about Judith Miller, who's the infamous reporter from the New York Times who lied us into war with Iraq with all the uh, weapons of mass destruction tall tales and is very close with the neoconservatives and all that. Well, she has a new story. It's verified by her New York Times editor uh, for some new podcast they're doing or something over at Slate. And they talk about how they had a story about an Al-Qaeda intercept that they could have run in the summer of 2001. You can find it. The story is called, Could the New York Times Have Prevented 9-11? Is the title at Slate. And they have a quote in there. Here was the intercept they had. Two Al-Qaeda guys on the phone. And the one Al-Qaeda guy says, you know, it really sucks that we weren't able to provoke America into invading Afghanistan when we blew up the USS Cole in the year 2000. And the other one says, don't worry. When the new attack happens here real soon, there's no way they'll be able to withstand the temptation then. We'll definitely get a reaction and an invasion out of them then. And so that makes it clear it's not just bin Laden. This had all filtered down to his men that they talked about it on the phone. That how is our project to provoke America into doing something big and stupid going? Well, it's not going as well as we liked, but hold on to your hats because here comes the big one. That's yeah. the way they all talked about this. And so that's my new article for today. And I think that's one of the most important um, you know, narratives of this entire war on terrorism era that um, you know, where they thought that they were taking advantage. That was what bin Laden wanted them to do, take advantage. So right. they were being cynical, horrible advantage takers, but they were also being total suckers for the enemy and carrying out bin Laden's plan. And then, so if that's right, and it is, that that was what they're trying to get us to do in Afghanistan, then that means that then going to Iraq and going to Libya and Syria and Somalia and Yemen is beyond bin Laden's wildest dreams. As Atwan said, Iraq was his dream come true. So um, the rest of them, absolutely. And of course, as I know you know, in Libya, Syria, and Yemen, because it's after Iraq War II, he got us fighting on the side of Al-Qaeda. Not just in a way that indirectly benefits them, but directly for their benefit in all three of those wars ongoing. I, and I never quite thought about it that way b- before that, um, you know, the way 
that the way we went in was even like a bigger victory than he could have even hoped for. That's kind of a, a really interesting point. Uh, uh, yep, absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. And, yeah, Michael Scheuer, who was the chief of the CIA's bin Laden unit, said the Iraq war was the hoped for but unexpected gift to bin Laden yeah. against the socialist infidel Saddam Hussein. That's what bin Laden called him, the socialist infidel. And, uh, and then, of course, kind of warning about that, too. Yeah, look, everybody, a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. You know, Colleen Rowley became famous as the FBI lawyer whistleblower whose team could have probably stopped 9-11 if they were allowed to pursue the investigation of Zacharias Moussaoui, yeah. who wanted to learn how to take uh, want to learn how to fly a plane, but not so interested in how to take off or land the thing. And when she came out in public in her big letter to the Senate in May of 2002, one of the big things in there was you better not invade Iraq, man. And she knew about Al Qaeda and she said, this is going to be an absolute catastrophe for our counterterrorism efforts. This is going to make the bad guys look so right about us. You know, the, yeah. the government was saying, oh, no, this is going to prove that we love Muslims and Arabs so much that they should never attack us. Yeah, really, by killing tens and hundreds of thousands of them, huh? Yeah, it's a way um, to show love. Yeah, there were plenty of people who warned against it. And now, look, I have the quotes in, in the, I guess, in both books. I think in both books. They're a little bit redundant there in the chapter one, um, yeah. where Paul Wolfowitz explained, this is one of the primary reasons that they wanted to invade Iraq, was to get American bases out of Saudi Arabia, where they were provoking al-Qaeda to attack us. And so what we're going to do, we're going to invade Iraq, that way we can move all those bases out of Saudi and into Iraq. Which, yeah, no one will mind that. That'll be just fine, right? Don't worry about that. But, right, yeah. You know, this was their thinking. These guys are out to get us, and we got to find a way to, you know, undermine it. Uh, and the smart way, right? Not let's invade Afghanistan forever, but let's get our bases out of Saudi. But then, of course, that just became the excuse for the next war, even worse. Right, for sure. Oh, shit. I got to go, man. I'm sorry. I got another interview. Okay, no, that's perfect. All right. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Scott. Absolutely. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, you too. Take care. So unfortunately, we had to uh, finish the interview a little more uh, abruptly than I would have hoped to. Uh, but I had a wonderful time uh, talking to Scott all the same. I hope that you had a good time uh, listening to the conversation. I uh, hope you got a little something out of it. Uh, learned a little something. I'm sure you did. You, you've always got to learn something when you listen to Scott uh, in just about any situation. So uh, anyways, I just want to uh, remind you guys again that Scott can uh, be found over at the Libertarian Institute uh, at antiwar.com. Uh, and he does the Scott Horton Show, which you can find over at scotthorton.org. If you haven't read his, uh, his books, Fool's Errand and Enough Already, you gotta, gotta, gotta read those books. Uh, he really, I, I could not recommend them highly enough. So I'll make sure to put links uh, in the description to uh, either to his site or to Amazon or some, somewhere where you can go and find the book very easy uh, and go buy it and go support Scott uh, as you should, as he deserves. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, I want to uh, thank him once more for uh, giving me his time, for coming on the show, and to thank you for sticking around and uh, listening to what we had to say. I hope you enjoyed it. 
if you liked the episode, go on and uh, hit that old thumbs up button there. Uh, if you disliked the episode, you can go ahead and hit that thumbs down button, although I'm sure no one will do that. Um, and uh, please leave me a comment uh, if you have any thoughts on the show. I do really always love uh, to hear from you guys in the comments and get your thoughts on uh, just whatever. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, all that is left to say is that uh, this has been me, Lockean Liberal, uh, for Categorical Imperatives, talking about the end of the war in Afghanistan, and of course, as always, Delenda Escazago.